Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's part four of Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 about how to suit up for spiritual warfare. Tonight we're going to move into Ephesians 6 and the section is uh, verses 10 through 20. And before we talk about anything more, let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much that we can study your word and there's so much going on in our world and in our nation but the battle does belong to the Lord. You are on the throne. You have never left it. You created the world and everything in it. It all belongs to you. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You started it and you will end it. And in between that, you will direct things as you would will. You have a permissive will. We do know that you are not behind the the awful things that happen, but you can even use those to... Uh, moved uh, for good to those who love you. So I just pray that as we get into spiritual warfare tonight, you'd give us a spiritual covering because we know that when we talk about the enemy and we talk about the reality of spiritual warfare, we do need a covering from you. So we ask for your, your special presence here tonight. And we ask that we would have a biblical balance, that we would not uh, be over the top in either direction um, so I, I just pray that you'd lead us by your Holy Spirit. Take us where you want us to go. Open our hearts. Make us more equipped for the battle that we do face. And let us remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now what you're going to find in the armor of God is that what is revealed is a couple of major things. You're going to see that the armor of God is God's provision for you as a believer. God wants to give you provisions, and he has supplied them. Really, it comes down to what you do with them. Armor is for one thing. Think about what armor does. What does it do? It protects you. And then the next question is, who wants to protect you? The answer, God. Now, God is your father, and the heart behind his desire to give you armor is his desire to protect you. He's been around a lot longer than us, He made the devil. The devil is simply a fallen angel. We'll talk some about that. And he knows how the adversary works. And since God is the ultimate parent, he is our father, he has provided armor to protect you because he knows how the adversary works. And, you know, if you take the analogy of a parent and you move it into our parenting, and not all of you are parents, but a lot of you are, you know how it works as a parent. You know, your, your kid climbs through the ranks and they can end up at a certain age and they can think that they know more than they actually do. And so we spend a lot of time as parents nagging and reminding and be careful and watch out for this. And they're like, I know, you've told me that a thousand times. And as parents, we say, you think you know, but you don't know, right? We never thought we would say that. But now here we are saying it to our offspring. You think you know, but you don't know, right? Because we have a lot more years and mileage and we have seen how life works and we know a little bit more about what lurks out there and the dangers. And the word parent in Latin is parentis and it means it has the idea of we take care of or we protect. God is the ultimate father. Armor is for protection 
The armor is the armor of God. He wants to protect you. He's given you a provision. Within the provision of the armor of God, you're going to see some major things. The armor is a reflection of God himself. God is a God of truth. You have a belt of truth. God is the God of salvation. You have a helmet of salvation. You're also going to find another truth as we go through this, that each of the pieces of armor reflect who God is, and they also show you the face of the enemy in the reflection of the pieces of the armor. In other words, each piece of armor is custom designed to deal with the typical ways that the enemy attacks the believer. Example, you have a belt of truth that reflects God. The reason you have a belt of truth is because your enemy is a liar. And in order to deal with his lies, God has given you a piece of armor to deal with the ways that the enemy attacks you. Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. He lied to our first parents in the garden. He blinds the minds of the unbelievers. He says in Genesis 3, did God really say that in the day you eat of it, you know, that he questions the word of God. He brings doubt and confusion to people. This is his tactic. His tactic in, in the Bible, he's called the tempter. And so really the armor of God, and see if this applies to any of us now, is really how to deal with temptation. And so that's really what this study is going to be about. You have custom armor from God to deal with temptation. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Now sometimes, let's face it, we get into temptations that we've put ourselves in. That's just dumb. More times than you can shake a stick at, we have met the enemy and it is us. Amen? And so lots, you know, when you come to this issue of spiritual warfare, you've got to be careful that you have a biblical balance. You don't want to see demons behind every tree or have your transmission break down and say, there's a demon in my transmission. I don't think that's biblical, Right? But the other side of it is that the demons love it when you don't believe in them as well. So there has to be a balance. And C.S. Lewis, I think, put it well uh, when it comes to that balance. And he pretty much articulated what I just said. You can't see the devil behind everything. We battle against the world. We battle against the flesh. We battle against the boastful pride of life. And yes, the devil is part of that equation. But there are certain things that we do in and of ourselves that sometimes we just do to ourselves or they come from our flesh. Uh, sometimes, you know, when we look at people who they want to blame demons for everything, they have a demon for this and a demon for that. Look, a lot of those sins are what the Bible actually calls the lust of the flesh. Now, the devil might put the carrot out there, but ultimately the reason that you have fallen to that sin is that you followed your flesh instead of the spirit. So let's, let's be biblically balanced here so that we don't go off on extremes. But the reality is, the sad reality is, I was just reading a Barna report and it said that uh, something like 60% of the professing church doesn't believe in a literal devil. They don't believe in a literal devil. I don't know what the definition of Christians are in these polls, but how can you read the Bible and not believe in a literal devil? Jesus believed in the devil. The devil tempted Jesus. Right? Paul believed in the devil. He's going to write about it. So you, you have to be biblically ignorant. And I think that's actually what is revealed in many of these polls that are taken by the Barna Research Group and others that are taken. I just don't know what people are reading anymore. 
People in these polls responded and they said that the devil is something like the symbol for evil, but there's not a literal devil. Look, if you don't believe in a literal devil, you don't believe in the Bible. The whole story of the scriptures is about Lucifer coming into the garden and upsetting the whole apple cart. And Paul repeats that thing and he says in 2 Corinthians 11, I don't want you to be deceived just as Eve was deceived in the garden. If someone comes and preaches another Jesus or another gospel, you hear from a different spirit, be careful. The same devil's around. So we have to have, again, a biblical balance. Now, as we've moved through Ephesians 6, some of you are new to the study, but we have moved through major themes. I want to remind you what they are. The chapters lay out this way. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with the wealth of the believer. I'm going to give you three W's here. The wealth of the believer. Paul spent three chapters, glorious chapters, telling us that we're saved by grace, by grace, by grace. Amen? Not by works. And so he wants you to know who you are. God called you into his family. You are secure in him. You are forgiven. All of your trespasses have been forgiven by his blood, by his sacrifice on the cross. And he ended it with this great benediction prayer which celebrates the grace of God and that the fullness of God's grace has been poured upon us who believe. Praise God. And then in chapter four, all the way through chapter six, verse nine, where we just ended last Wednesday, What he does is talk about the walk of the believer, the wealth of the believer. And I'll add this word because this is how Paul puts it, the worthy walk of the believer. The word walk means live. It's a synonym for the idea of how you live or what you invest your life in. But Paul didn't just talk about the walk of the believer. He talked about a worthy walk. And we looked at the Greek word for worthy and it's axios in Greek. And it means to balance the scales between who you are and how you live. So even though, like the book of Romans, grace is celebrated in Ephesians, it doesn't stop with grace. You're saved by grace, but now you're to walk in response to that grace. The reason I do what I do is not to get saved. I'm already saved. The reason I do what I do is in response to the grace of God. He's been so good to me. I want to serve him. That's the walk of the believer. And now we're going to move in, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, into the warfare of the believer. So you got the wealth the walk, and the warfare of the believer. Now, some major themes in terms of another way to put this is found in Ephesians 5.18 and Ephesians 4.24. So in Ephesians 4.24, I've reminded you several times, but let's look at it again. Ephesians 4.24, just to set this up. It says, and put on the new self. This phrase put on is going to become very familiar to us in the spiritual armor which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So putting on the new self is a major theme to the worthy walk. And then in Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Anybody else cold in here right now? Oh, you know what? That's what you always get when you ask about how it is. I'm a little bit cold up here, so maybe we can turn down the air conditioner. So anyway... All right, so John Stott writes these words. And I don't agree with everything that John Stott has concluded because John Stott has moved away, at at least more recently, on some doctrines where he's become a little controversial, but he says these words. If we underestimate our spiritual enemy and we, we see no need for God's armor 
and go into the battle unarmed with no weapons but our puny strength, we will be quickly defeated, close quote. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Hey, Pastor Michael and the team really appreciate you listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to bring you the truth of God's Word and help you apply it to your life. To equip you when people in your community have questions, not to throw the truth in their faces, but to have an answer for the hope you have inside you. Would you please help us with something? Would you please reach out to us today to tell us how Walk in Truth has been a blessing to you? We have a church board, and they would love to hear from our listeners. They want to know how this ministry is reaching you. We would love to know how Pastor Michael's messages have helped you day to day, or even just this one time if you're a first-time listener. Please take a couple moments to either call us and leave us a message or email us. The number is 844-48-TRUTH or you can email us at contact at walkintruth.com. That's 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH or contact at walkintruth.com. And thank you so much and God bless. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And it means to balance the scales between who you are and how you live. So even though, like the book of Romans, grace is celebrated in Ephesians, it doesn't stop with grace. You're saved by grace, but now you're to walk in response to that grace. The reason I do what I do is not to get saved, I'm already saved. The reason I do what I do is in response to the grace of God. He's been so good to me. I want to serve him. That's the walk of the believer. And now we're going to move in, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, into the warfare of the believer. So you got the wealth, the walk, and the warfare of the believer. Now some major themes in terms of, another way to put this, is found in Ephesians 5.18 and Ephesians 4.24. So, In Ephesians 4.24, I've reminded you several times, but let's look at it again. Ephesians 4.24, just to set this up. It says, and put on the new self. This phrase, put on, is going to become very familiar to us in the spiritual armor, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So putting on the new self is a major theme to the worthy walk. And then in Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. Anybody else cold in here right now? Oh, you know what? That's what you always get when you ask about how it is. I'm a little bit cold up here, so maybe we can turn down the air conditioner. So anyway, all right. So John Stott writes these words. And I don't agree with everything that John Stott has concluded because John Stott has moved away at at least more recently on some doctrines where he's become a little controversial, but he says these words. If we underestimate our spiritual enemy and we we see no need for God's armor and go into the battle unarmed with no weapons but our puny strength, we will be quickly defeated, close quote. So the Christian life will not be easy 
The faithful Christian life is clearly pictured here as a battle. As a matter of fact, you cannot accomplish this battle in your own strength. That's why putting on the new man, Ephesians 4.24, and being filled with the Spirit are driven into our hearts in this particular passage. Now, when Paul talked about it, he talked about being filled with the Spirit, and then he talked about how that would impact our marriages, and how that would impact our parenting, and how that would impact our workplace, and that's what we've talked about so far. But we do have to understand that we have an enemy working against us, and he is called our adversary in 1 Peter 5.8. Our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone that he might, what? Devour them. He is called in 1 Peter 5.8 our adversary and he's pictured as a roaring lion and he's going to and fro seeking someone to devour. Literally the Greek for devour in 1 Peter 5.8 means he wants to drink you down. In the book of Luke, Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, Satan's been asking for you by name that he might what? Sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Oh, praise God. We have a great advocate on high. Satan can only operate ultimately under the sovereignty of God. Now we see this in the book of Job. So let's go to the book of Job for a moment. Go to Job chapter 1. And let's look a little bit at the adversary that we face. Job chapter 1. So we get an insight about what Satan is up to. And just uh, to... Uh, take away all the stigmas and stereotypes. Satan is not in hell. He is not sitting on a throne. He is not dressed in a red union suit with a pitchfork with little demons dancing a jig by his side celebrating him in hell. Hell is the last place that Lucifer wants to be. He does not reign in hell, but he will end up in the lake of fire. But he doesn't want to go there. The Bible makes it clear what he's up to. He moves to and fro throughout the earth, seeking people to destroy. And there's another thing that he does. He still, in my view of theology, has access to heaven. And in the book of Revelation, it says that he accuses the brethren, how often? Day and night, that tells me that he has access to heaven still. He roams about on the earth, but he is not enthroned in some underworld. That is just, uh, what do you want to call it? Dante's Inferno, right? That's just mythology. That's how the devil's been mythologized, but that is not the Bible. The Bible tells us, and this is Job chapter 1, Look at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Now we get another insight into what Satan's up to. And if you want to write in your margin, I would write in your margin 1 Peter 5.8 because I think the New Testament Uh, just gives a little bit more detail and tells us what he's walking about doing. He's going about as a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy or someone to literally drink down. So later in the book of Job, go all the way to chapter 38, we see something else. And this has to do with the timing of the creation of Lucifer or Satan. And here's what it says. Um, 
the Lord is answering Job out of the whirlwind after Job has uh, placed his complaints before the Lord. And he says these words, Job 38 verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Job 38 5. Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its basis, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now theologians say that since this is a depiction of the creation of the earth when God was creating things, there were some sons of God, and that's another name for the angels in the Bible, who shouted for joy at the creation of the earth. And so what we know is that we see Lucifer all the way in Genesis 3 already present in the Garden of Eden. And so he's been around a long time. He's a created angel. He is not God's counterpart on the evil side. He is simply a fallen angel. Now what type of angel might he be? Well, some have conjectured that he actually was an archangel. And so let's keep going in the Old Testament for a second. And let's pass up Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and you're going to get to Ezekiel. Let's go to chapter 28 in Ezekiel. Now in uh, prophecy, what happens is often prophecy will be layered. It may be speaking to the immediate leader of that day, but on a sub-level, this is the beauty of prophecy, and it can even be speaking of an immediate time and then a time in the future, there can be layers to prophecy. And so this is a particular um, example of that. It's addressing the king of Tyre, but then it moves into a, another being that uh, seems to be someone quite different. So let's look at uh, verse 11, Ezekiel 28. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You had the seal of perfection, Ezekiel 28.12, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets. Many see that there's a reference to Uh, musical um, instruments or something of that nature was in you on the day that you were created they were prepared some even have conjectured that this means that satan was the worship leader in heaven you were the anointed cherub who covers and i placed you there you were on the holy mountain of god you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. This is why scholars believe that you have a sub-level of prophecy because the king of Tyre, this does not apply to him. And so we think that Lucifer is being talked about here. He's called an anointed cherub that covers, maybe protecting that which belonged to God or even has the idea of protecting the very throne of God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until, notice, unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as a profane, as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. 
Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So here's a specific reference in the Old Testament where scholars say there's a sub-level of prophecy pointing to Lucifer. Now go back a few books and go to Isaiah chapter 14. You're going to see a very similar thing. Here the king of Babylon is being addressed, but again on a sub-level we have uh, a reference to Lucifer actually named in this prophecy, Isaiah 14. Look at verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. I think the New King James has Lucifer there. Son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, and here's the famous five I will statements of Lucifer, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Oh, no, you won't. You've been listening to Suit Up for Spiritual Warfare, Part 4 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth on this station and on your podcast app. If you'd like to watch recent messages or church services with Pastor Michael and the Living Truth Congregation, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. You can find the channel and learn more about Walk in Truth on our website, walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part five of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.